The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. All right, good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes of frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addicts and uh, compulsive gambling. And happy to have joining us now. I should say that Dan Trelaro got caught in a flight in Nashville, so he will not join us today. But Patrick C. from Washington State, kind enough to join us today as well. Patrick, it's Craig. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. Craig, hey, thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to it. Appreciate it. Yeah. When was your last wager, if you don't mind me being blunt and asking you right out of the gate? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't mind. It was February 1st of 2015. Um Awesome. Uh, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, final wager. So you, you, almost a decade of recovery, which is awesome, which I know you're very proud of, and I want to get to that in a moment. But let's back up the uh, clock here a little bit. When were I guess, how old were you when you first remember being exposed to gambling? Right. I was, you know, um, young. I was, I was uh, five, six years old. Uh, I was exposed by my dad. That was the environment I grew up in. It was everywhere. And what type of gambling? Like card games on a Friday night, the track? What was your dad into? Yeah, no, it was it was all sports betting, right? I mean, we grew up in a in a sports house, and and from from early on, I remember my dad and his buddies betting on college football games, NFL games, um, you know, um, through bookies and that sort of thing. Right. I always wonder, you know, when and people ask me the same question: Was there any aspect when you were a kid you remember feeling? Uh, for lack of a better term, like kind of cooler than the other kids because you knew the lingo, you knew how to read a line, you knew what the spread meant and the money line and all that stuff. Or when you look back, was that was that not a part of your childhood? No, it was. To be honest with you, you know, I, I viewed that it was it was I was cool. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was in that environment was exciting. You know, as a young kid to see that and to to talk to my buddies about it. You know, at young ages and tell right. them. You know, what my dad was doing and how I was involved. Yeah, that was great. And then how old were you when you started uh, gambling on your own? You know, I started just early college years, you know, just playing cards, poker with buddies, you know. Right. Um, so probably, what, 19, 20 years old is when I first started, you know, gambling, I guess I could say. And as you look back on life with the clarity you have now, you know, what was the kind of moment in your life when you went from – you know, a random Friday night with the guys in college or, you know, a house party, that kind of thing, or maybe even a random trip to a casino. Did you start gambling beyond just the recreational once a week, couple times a month kind of thing? Early 20s, you know, I started – and I was primarily betting on football games, right, NFL right. college games. I wasn't necessarily in casinos, but I was I, – I realized something was – I was crossing the line when I started sending money to uh, friends in Nevada to place bets for me. Wow. All right. So it wasn't even like you had a local guy. You actually uh, had to go to the post, post office and get <laughs> and get money out to people. They made the bets legally for you. And uh, win or lose, you had to deal with it uh, via the U.S. mail. That's interesting. Yeah, I would deposit money into their into their banks, and and you know we had a you know limit set up where if I got you know crossed over that, I'd, I'd pay up or they'd pay up the other way. You know, and so. That's how I was doing it. You know, I had to work hard to get my bets in back then. Yeah, sure. And if you won, you had to wait a good week plus for the mail to show up. Was there ever a point where 
you had to hide the mail from a, a loved one, a mom, a dad, a buddy, a roommate, where, hey, don't touch that envelope. There might be some cash inside it. Well, not necessarily that, but I, I mean, I, I definitely got to the point where I was hiding mail from, from, from my wife, you know, sure. um, as, as this thing progressed, right. You know, and it got to a point where it was, maybe we can touch on in a minute, but, um, I got to that point for sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, it. so the gambling at this point seems, you know, somewhat garden variety, young guys, young twenties, a little bit of money in his pocket. You love football. You grew up gambling. So that's what you and your buddies did. I lived that same life. But there's always some, it may not be a defining moment, but there's a period of time where you cross over and it becomes problematic. What was that moment for you? Sure. Yeah. And it was, it was, um, for me, it was working for myself as a general contractor from the time I was in my mid to late 20s through my mid 30s, right? I was, um, now I'm accepting, um, I have access to money. Clients trusted me, they respected me. And, you know, I was a landscape designer and, they were handing over twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar checks to me as project deposits. Um, unbeknownst to them, behind the scenes, I'm gambling with it, right? And so, you know, the cycle that 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 takes us on. And so that was, you know, like I say, late twenties, and I'm losing more than I'm winning, and I'm chasing, right? And I'm right. just it becomes this 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 constant constant game of chase, and uh, those were scary days. Was there a moment during that where you couldn't finish a job or you didn't have the money to buy the tools or the raw goods that you needed for you know a landscaping job and you had to kind of BS your way through that? Totally. Every, every job became that, right? I, you know, for example, if a client handed me a $30,000 check, I'd take 15000 and dump it into the project and I'd take the other 15000 right. and gamble with it. With the intent, right? With the intent of, well, I'm just going to double or triple it up. My intent was never, hey, I'm, I'm going to take this guy's money and hit the bricks. I mean, that right. was never my, my, you know how that goes. But, uh, yeah. Look, I'm going to st- I want to stop you there for a second, only because I think that's important. I think there, there is, look, there are bad people out there who do, you know, want to take other people's money and abscond with it and, you know, travel the world and buy nice things and vacations. But that, in my experience, as a compulsive gambler and a guy who's now talked to thousands, of compulsive gamblers, the one at one of many you know pieces of commonality is what you just said. You know, when I borrowed money for, from people, the idea was always—I mean, always—unwavering—I'm going to pay it back. I'm going to win. I'm going to pay it back. We're going to be good. There was never the thought of ever, hey, I'm going to get money from somebody or some entity. And run off, you know, to Jamaica with it, or never pay it back. And that's interesting that you know you said exactly the same thing. Right, and that's that's our mentality. And for the, you know people on the outside, they just don't see it. They can't. They don't understand it. Right. But that's exactly my. That was exactly my rationale. Um, I, I'll take this fifteen grand or this twenty grand now, but I'm just going to double it up, and I'll get that back into the project. He'll never know the difference. Right. And you know. Uh, it, inevitably they all ended the same way, right? I'm, I'm two to three weeks into a project and I have to go to the clients and come up with some BS excuse about why I can't continue the job or there's a delay. And all the while I'm taking another client's deposit and trying to double that up so that I can get this other job finished. And I've got a circle of clients that I now owe thousands to, right? And so that's, um, it, yeah. So what, ended up happening was they you know they would find out and report me to the state i live in washington state and so they 
eventually the state revoked my business license. Really? So was there a period prior to that where you had a job and a homeowner or whomever, you know, was paying for the project said, hey, Pat, look, we got an issue. Yo, I paid you to do X. You can't do it. What's going on? You know, before they kind of ratted you out to the state, were there opportunities to cure the problem? Absolutely. They were all, they were all, um, everybody was, was, gave me plenty of time, right? You know, I, I would have excuses and they would buy them for a while and then they would sit down with their spouse and I'd be like, you know what, this is just, nothing's adding up here. So there was always time. There was, there, I could always play this game, Craig, for, for two to three months and drag it out until eventually the, you know, the writing was on the wall and, and they would figure something out. I can't imagine you got a lot of sleep during those days when, you know, you're trying to you know, build a business. You're also juggling money from other people. Plus, you're also spending God knows how many hours you're know, gambling as well. Well, and, and all of it. And then it's also, uh, you know, I'm married, right? I got married when I was 30, 34 years old. And so I, I'm coming home every day and, and, and looking my wife in the eye and giving her the impression that everything was great today. But right. what she didn't know was that I had just lost the mortgage payment or I had just gambled our son's tuition away right and yep. so there's that aspect of it as well it's just the, the lies that we create and, and the deception you know no i didn't sleep well you know right. it's, it, those were those were i was up those were dark days yeah very dark days and i the way i've, I've explained it to people you know it's like a second and third job just trying to you know maintain your wits about who has the money where did it go how do i get it when am i gambling where am i gambling what story am I concocting? What excuse am I going to make for why I'm going to be out of town for three hours or what job I'm on? Like once you get past the early stages of recovery and you, and it really sticks and you're not gambling anymore. I've always told people the amount of free mental space that we have is like nothing I've ever experienced before in my entire life. Um, for you, what was, if you don't mind me asking, what was the, the rock bottom moment? What happened where you kind of were either forced to come to Jesus, you know, or get help or reluctantly or someone dragged you kicking and screaming. For a lot of us, there's that defining moment where it all goes south and there are no more prayers to be answered and no more, you know, lifelines out there. Did you have a moment like that? Yeah, so it's, it's it, yeah, I did. Um, my, my rock bottom was November of 2014. And I, I tell people this story and they look at me like I'm, you know, how how in the world could you do this? It wasn't it wasn't the thousands of dollars or the lies or all of that. It wasn't the theft charges that would be you know convicted with first of first degree theft. It wasn't any of that. Rock bottom was taking nine dollars and fifty cents from my five year old son's piggy bank one day, wow. completely out of money, out of resources, out of friends, and went in there and took nine dollars and fifty cents. It was all the money he had. Um, and I sat in my my car that day and cried for hours, uh, convinced that I was gonna I had to end my life because I was of no use to anybody, right? Um, that was rock bottom. But I never did come clean. It was two months later. It was put in my face. My family found out that I had an issue. Um, they had no idea of the scope or magnitude, but they found out and they arranged an intervention. Um, and I I took that lifeline, and that was actually a relief that day that wasn't rock bottom that was the i call the beginning yeah no i get that i relate to that a great deal it's it's not nobody wants to get caught i mean i think that's a misnomer misnomer but when you're finally exposed to the people you love the most it's my many people myself included that's not the worst day that's one of the best days you have as hard as it is 
Because that's legitimately your first day towards full recovery. I agree with you 100% on that. Right, and I had long since crossed over that juncture. There were many junctures along the way where I thought, you know what, now's the day to go down and and have a conversation with your wife and tell her what's going on. Uh, But I never did, and then I had so much shame, um, so much guilt, right, that I I wasn't going to do it myself. And so to have it put in my face like that was was the, the lifeline that I needed. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll continue on. We will get to the good stuff, but I know there is plenty of it. This is Hello, My Name is Craig, and this is Pat from Washington State. More coming up right after this. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Good morning. Welcome back to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig, uh, Craig Carton. Dan Trelaw not with us today. He's on his way to Nashville to speak uh I believe at Vanderbilt he's speaking out this weekend, but a couple of colleges out in uh, Tennessee. But uh, Patrick C's here from Washington State. You know, when we left off during the break there, you had that moment where you took $9.50 from your kid's piggy bank, and that was your lowest of all low moments, and then your family had an intervention to get you help. Before I get to the help and, and the good stuff, you mentioned that you did contemplate you know, taking your own life. You know, I almost jumped off a ski lift a couple hundred feet above uh, the mountain, which I've shared only a few times publicly, but I, it's part of my story. I wonder for you why you didn't and if there's some type of strange moment for you where you went from it, the best thing I can do is not wake up tomorrow to I'm not going to do that. Yeah, you know, and I had those thoughts of, of, of suicide for sure, like I talked about, and, and it, you know, my thinking was, you know what, my son and my wife will be bummed out for a while, but they'll get over it and they'll be better off in the long run if I'm gone, you know. Um, but what I was thinking, you know, I, in my mind, I had to do it in a way that looked like an accident because I wanted my wife to, to I wanted the life insurance to pay out. I wanted my wife and son to be taken care of. So I had some planning to do. Uh, and I figured it was going to take two to four months to kind of plan this out and make it do it in a way that looked like an accident. Fortunately for me, um, before that happened, it was two months later is when, you know, my family intervened and, and that's when things changed. So they, you know, that saved my life. So that's amazing. So the intervention unknowingly saved your life. It wasn't like they were doing it just to try to get you to go to rehab and get some help and acknowledge you had a problem, but little did they know that you'd kind of been scheming to maybe not wake up. That's nuts. Yeah, that's exactly how it went. And so, you know, I think that was part of my, you know, the release that I felt that day. You know, uh, sure. I had I knew that they were going to, over the course of the next several months, uncover a lot of things yep. that they didn't know that day. And I was I was afraid of that. But I knew that things were going to be OK somehow, some way. That was the day I knew that things would be OK. And that that was like the light. Right. I mean, I had to live sure. in darkness for so many years and live in a life of paranoia, running from people and, 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 and people chasing after me. And to see the light, um, man, that was a good day. No doubt. I, I wonder, um, you know, when you look back on that, I, I imagine in the moment you weren't very receptive to the intervention. And I look back on it with, I'm sure, great thanks that, you know, these people in your life, your family cared enough about you to, to have the intervention. Did did it take right away, meaning when you had the intervention, decided to go get help, was it cold turkey? Was that the last day you gambled? Or was there a point where you still went and gambled you know, down the line? 
No, that was it. That was it. I, and I, you know, I, I was literally put on a plane, an airplane three hours later, four hours later and sent off to Minnesota after that intervention. And my, my brain was so cloudy, right. Um, that they did a full blown mental assessment on me when I got there and I was legally insane, you know? So it took a while for me to really even process what, what I had done, the gambling aspect, all of it. But when I got out of treatment, I, you know, I told myself I was, I was never going down that road again. Um, but I don't, I don't, I never want to get over my skis, right? Complacency is the word that scares me to death. Sure. So I told myself, I'm never going to be one of these people that says, you know, I can gamble a little bit. I'll be fine. Um, because I don't think I can. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Like there, listen, I'd be lying if I told you there are moments in my life where I don't miss it. I do. There's aspects of it that I loved. You're like the air that I breathe, but I know full well that if I even touched it or tasted it, even at the lowest of all possible levels, even a a game with no money on the table, I don't trust myself that that's not going to be the impetus to say, oh, I I did that. I can do a little bit more and a little bit more. And I know exactly, for me at least, I know where that would end. And it would not end in a very good place. Plus, I would lose everything I've now fought so hard to rebuild, which gets me to you. So you're almost 10 years in recovery, which is awesome. Uh, how long did it take you to truly rebuild relationships? Not good. I, I hope you're still married and you're, you're in your son's life. But uh, how long was that process for you? Yeah, it's a process, as you know, Craig. Um, I Once we betray that trust with our spouse or whoever it is, it's really difficult to get that back. And it probably took two to three years um, before I, my wife and I really had a solid foundation. You know, um, and, and we still, you know, I, I, we still have conversations, you know, I mean, I, I have to live a life of full transparency until the day I die. And I, yep. I'm good with that, you know, but it's taken a lot of, it's like building a, building a house, right? It's one block at a time and, and you put your head down and you do the work. And I, I, fortunately my wife gave me a chance and we actually have a second son now who wouldn't even be on this earth if not for the fact that I've, I've put in the work and my wife has put in the work and we've, we've rebuilt our lives. Yeah. I think works the right way to look at it. It's nothing's overnight. You know, we all now living these lives that are you know, amazing and full of joy and love and happiness. Uh, but it does not happen overnight. And I don't want anyone to think it does. It is hard work. There are many people that do get divorced and you can certainly understand the spouse saying, you know, you've broken that trust. I can never trust you again. And they've every right to feel that way. And then there are, you know, a few of us that are very fortunate that, you know, we're given the opportunity to try to rebuild relationships with spouses, obviously kids who are, you know, victimized by our behavior and embarrassed by what their daddy, you know, became, whether it's public or not. Uh, and that does not happen overnight. So I don't want to make anyone think that just because I'm sitting here doing a radio show and a TV show and you're back on your feet that it's easy. It's not. But it's worth it. Absolutely. 100% worth it. How is life otherwise? I assume you're working, you're doing okay, and uh, life's really great, yeah? Yeah, I mean, life is amazing now. I, You know, I, I work with um, Dan Trolero at Epic, and so I have the opportunity and the platform to, to travel the country and meet with college student-athletes, um, professional athletes, coaches, you know, and, and share my story, for one, but also help to, to, to educate and raise awareness about what's out there and, and what they can be exposed to and some of the things to watch out for. And so I'm grateful for the bad days, if that makes any sense, right? I yeah. mean, just without, without all the bad days, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't be the father that I am today. I wouldn't be the husband that I am today. And I wouldn't 
be able to make a, an impact the, the way I can today. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for what I have and not, and I don't take um, anything for granted anymore. I think it's amazing when guys like you and like Dan have taken the worst part of their lives and turned around and made it the best part of their lives and wear it on your sleeves the way you do. And we just need more people like that. And the reason I do this show and speak, you know, all over the place and, you know, uh, a, a relatively localized, you know, college campus tour like you guys are doing on a national level is because I think the more we talk about it and people see us as just regular guys, postmen, firefighters, cops, teachers, lawyers, doctors, whatever, and there's nothing special about us, and yet we fell prey to this addiction. I think the more we share our stories and let people know that if you're willing to put the work in, as bad as it was, I lost my freedom. I was in financial ruin. I was literally scrounging for change under couch cushions to buy breakfast. I couldn't afford gas. I couldn't afford tolls to see my kids to go in and out of New York City at the height of my uh, disease and my attempts for recovery. But it's all worth it. It's all worth it. And I think it's great that guys like you and Dan continue to pay that forward and have now dedicated your lives to helping people just like us. And I imagine you get, uh, you get, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, great satisfaction, I think is the right word, out of it. And I'm sure your wife is very proud of the man you've become as well. Well, thanks, Craig. I appreciate you saying that. And, and you know, I spent so many years taking from people, right, uh, the most important people in my life, um, spiritually, financially, emotionally, to have the ability to give back, to have the ability to, to, to impact others in a positive way. It's, it's really difficult to describe that feeling and what that does for me, you know. And so, um, again, it just goes back to, to the trust I have in my recovery and, and the belief I have in um, what we do. I have to ask, though, since you're no longer a landscaper, is your house the best landscaped house in the neighborhood? <laughs> I'm like the doctor, right, that tells people to eat well and don't smoke cigarettes, and I'm out there having a heater on the front porch. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. You think, it, you think it would be, but it's not. I, well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. I'm really proud of you. You're almost 10 years in recovery, which is great. I think it's, uh, you must be, have married an amazing woman, so God bless to her as well. If I can ever return this favor, just ask. Count me in to help uh, you out in your continuing journey to uh, educate uh, folks about the potential danger of gambling. I look forward to meeting you one day, and I'm really glad you did make the decision that you were going to wake up the next day and decided to handle it by looking in the mirror and acknowledging, hey, I got a problem, I've got to deal with that problem, and I'll be better off for it, and I wish that more people would do that, and I can't thank you enough for joining us. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Craig. I love what you're doing, and I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Be well. Have a great day. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, buddy. Thanks. Take care. All right, once again, that's Patrick C. from Washington State. Uh, and we've done this show for almost three years now, and every time I get a chance to talk to another gambling or gambler in recovery, it is a reminder to me about what kind of jackass I was how lucky I am to have this second opportunity to do what I do and love the most, which is, you know, talk sports on TV, on the radio, et cetera, and how really fortunate I am. But it's also a great message to everyone out there. Whatever the addiction may be, there is help out there, and there are solutions to every problem you have. None of them are easy. I want to be very clear about that. There is no easy recovery. There is no easy rebuilding of relationships. There's no easy financial recovery, but it is all possible. It's all out there. 
You just have to put the same amount of time and energy you put into gambling into your recovery. And that's not cliche. That's real life. Those are the men and women who do it every single day. And years later can look back on the darkest, ugliest moments of our lives and say, I've become a better person for that experience. It is cliche to say nobody's perfect. That's real. That's obvious. But when you go through the depths of hell, all self-inflicted, and take the time to work your ass off to come out of it, and all of a sudden the sky's a little bluer, the birds are chirping, a prettier song, I can't tell you how amazing life can be. I am living proof of it. I made the biggest mistakes a man could ever possibly make and risked everything I'd ever worked hard for. And my story obviously played out on the back and front pages of New York newspapers, and it haunts me to this day. It will always be associated with my name, and that's a burden I have to live with. At some point, you'll get over and not be bothered by because it. it does bother me. I've always said I don't ever want to be judged by, by worst moments in life, and it's not fair to judge me by my best moments either, but judge me based on the body of work. My hope is that one day, while I know people will always talk about the worst moments of my life because it gets clicks and it makes people feel good about themselves to continually remind me about the bad decisions I made, I do hope that there comes a day years and years from now, not today because I haven't earned it yet, but somewhere down the line before my obituary is written that someone looks back at my life and says, you know what, he did mess up and I didn't even like the guy. But I got to hand it to him. He did everything in his power to make it right and to live a better life as a better person. And that's what I attempt to do every single day. And I always remember the quote, I use it a lot, from Eleanor Roosevelt, which is, other people's opinion of me is none of my business. You know who your friends are. You know who your loyal people are. You know who, count, you know who cares about you and who loves you. You don't need anybody but those people so you can stop trying to impress everybody else and trying to win everybody over. And that's the reality of trying to overcome addiction. For me, it's gambling, but for you, it might be food. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol. It might be something else. But just know that there is help out there. You can conquer these addictions, and you can live an amazing life once you dedicate yourself to conquering what ails you. Appreciate your time as always. We'll do it again next Saturday uh, right here on WFAM. Joe Beningo's coming up next. Hopefully he won't uh, bother any of the other hosts like he did this past week with Tiki. And then, of course, Monday morning after all the football, uh, it's Boomer and Geo. And then, of course, Sal and uh, BT. And then Evan and Tiki and the rest of the gang uh, right here on WFA. And you're home for New York Giants football. Thank you so much for listening again to Hello, My Name is Craig. Have a great weekend.